Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Today, we are joined by our guest host, filmmaker Heather Lenz. She's a filmmaker best known for Kusama Infinity, a feature-length documentary about artist Yayoi Kusama that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and received international distribution. Mike Kamoyne is a filmmaker with a mission. His film, Scared to Debt, Exposing America's Student Loan Scam, has been a passion project and a labor of love. He recently released the first chapter of the film, Sally May Not, Chapter One. He is best known for a documentary series on Adirondack, culture with has screened in northeastern U.S. and Canadian television markets. He is also host of the new series, Check the Gate, one-on-one with the Northeast Filmmakers Lab. Welcome to the show, Heather and Mike. Oh, thank Thank you you. so much, Claire. Thanks for the lovely introduction. And Mike, thank you so much for being here with us today. For those who Uh, aren't familiar with your new film, could you please summarize it and tell you, I'm sorry, tell us how you got involved with the topic. Well, uh, Scared to Debt is actually something that uh, I experienced because I have two kids who are about to go into college. And, uh, you know, my wife and I are looking at the extraordinary amount of cost that it costs today to put children through college. About five years ago, I was introduced to Alan Collins, author of the book, The Student Loan Scam. And a woman said, uh, Cynthia said, I want you to meet him. You have to make a movie about this. You you have to tell the stories. Um, you, you know what it's going to be like if you can help millions of people? And I said to Cynthia, because we know in the business, who's going to write the first check to get this going? And she wrote the first check. And I was introduced to Alan, and I was introduced to his book. But I'm a slow reader, so I would listen to the book on audio. And as I was, pe- I would also go pedaling. And I'd go out for these rides, and I'd listen to this book, and I just grew angrier and angrier. And this is five years ago, and I knew my kids were going to be heading to college. And I said, oh, I have to do something about this. So as an independent filmmaker, I said yes, and we started interviewing people. And um, here we are now with the first episode that is out called Sally May Not. And uh, in this first episode, we look at whether or not this is a bad borrower or a bad lending problem. So five years ago, most of the stories we read about in the media was about these bad deadbeat borrowers. And I knew that in Alan's book, he had stumbled upon a truth about the lending system, that it was flawed and is designed actually knowingly to harm people by lending them money they can't afford. And we saw this 
in 2008 with the mortgage loan lending crisis, and we know what happened there. So uh, I peddled more, I listened more, and uh, and uh, that passion has fueled uh, this desire to not only get this first episode out, but five more because there's so much behind this that America doesn't know about our educational system. Well, Mike, I really want to applaud you for tackling this topic, and I think it's especially, um, to me, it's fascinating that you are not a victim of these loans. As someone who has uh, had uh, student loan debt and many of my friends are burdened with this kind of debt, it is really, um, Mm -hmm. it's a terrible burden. So, uh, again, I just really want to applaud you for the work you're doing. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit yeah, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how and why Sally Mae became a predatory lender. And also, as part of that, if you could talk a little bit about uh, the role of Albert Lord. <laughs> Al Lord, yes, he's the mastermind behind privatization and the for-profit motive of Sally Mae. Uh, the government needed a solution to uh, serviced the student loan industry, and Al Lord, who was a Penn State accountant, was within Sally Mae, worked his way up, uh, and said, "I'll, I'll be the, you know, the president of this if we privatize." And that took place in the 1990s. And in addition, what caused this become privatizing it? wasn't the thing, and making it for profit wasn't the thing that made what we now have a $1.8 trillion catastrophe, which is what one Wall Street journalist, Josh Mitchell, calls this. It's an American catastrophe. During those years, in 1998, in the middle of trying to get a budget passed, this was under Clinton, there was legislation that removed consumer protections for federal student loans. And that means they removed bankruptcy and statute of limitations. Um, this then became the case in 2005 under President Bush II, where they removed bankruptcy protections from private student loans. So now you have this lending system that is also lobbying Congress to give them permission to allow universities to charge more per credit and more. So what did they do? Well, we saw the cost of college rise at an incredible rate uh, where it was once under 20000 now it's fifty, sixty, seventy-five thousand dollars $75,000 a year, which is just extraordinary. So there are no breaks. So um, no breaks on this system. Uh, when you have fair lending, the borrower, the student, uh, the government, and the university all share, or the, uh, I should say the bank, which is the government, that all share like one-third the risk. But in this case, what happened from 1998 forward, actually it began earlier, um, is all the burden is entirely on the student. There's no liability for the university, and there's no liability for the government, only that they wrote the laws such that if you can't make your payments 
back, we will garner your Social Security checks. So this is what's happening now, where people are taking these loans to their grave. And it's sad. It's, um, it's wrong. And it, and it really goes against our capitalist principles of entrepreneurship, which is you know, rooted in our U.S. Constitution that we should have uniform bankruptcy. Every other loan you can think of has these protections, but not student loans. And that's uh, what our lead uh, character, Alan Collins, uh, always reminds me and always reminds our audience that that's the missing piece. Well, there are so many follow-up questions I could ask to what you've just said, but what I would like you to talk a little bit about is um, how student loans grow and why the company prefers loans that are in default. There's someone in your film that talks about how they had $74,000 in student loan debt. They've now paid $175,000 towards that loan, and they still owe $235,000. So I think this speaks to the way these um, loans can really just explode. Isn't that astronomical that you could take out 75000 pay off that amount, more than that amount, and still owe twice as much? That is a, a, a clear example of predatory lending. Uh, what has happened to our understanding, and we show this in Episode 1, with another borrower uh, in Syracuse, and what happens is they these loan servicers have your account, but then tell you and send you a letter. We're going to move it to another service provider. And while they do that, one of the things they they change the rates. Uh, they have the ability to do that. They can tack on fees, and and those that wanted to participate in the public. Uh, service loan forgiveness program, they can tell you that uh, you didn't do it properly. Um, you have to, and this is the 10-year plan, where if you work for a nonprofit, we'll forgive your loans um, after 10 years of service to our country. Well, they kick the majority, 99% of the people, out of that program. Um, for, you know, I don't know exactly how um, Christian Wise. The uh, subject you're you're referencing, how his loans got to be that high, but it seems extraordinary. It seems wildly inappropriate, and it seems criminal. And nobody, as I said before, is held accountable because they rewrote the law to protect themselves and make money. That's what they were after in the 1990s. That's what Albert Lord instructed was this this wonderful opportunity to make money, and it worked. Yeah, absolutely. I personally know of someone who works at a nonprofit who put the 10 years in in order to have the loans forgiven, which were astronomical, especially considering um, the, the earning potential of the degree. And right when he was prepared to make that final payment, they didn't send the bill. They purposely withheld it. 
And then they told him he was late for a payment he tried to make, and they kicked him out, even though he had had, he had really put that 10 years in. But they purposely made it impossible for him to make that final payment, and then they made themselves completely unreachable so that he couldn't uh, dispute it or fight back. And, and it's so demoralizing for people who are in this situation. Uh, they just feel like they have no recourse, and your film actually – uh, deals with how deep the depression can be. It's driven some people to suicide. Obviously, it's prevented a whole generation of people from buying homes, from starting families, all sorts of things. So, uh, you know, with that well, being said... Well, can I just say, Heather, uh-huh, you know, yeah. thank you for giving us the opportunity to even talk about this because just the mere act of what we're doing right now is part of how this problem's going to end because... So many people don't know this has been happening for years to people like your friend and others and people who appear in the film. It's just extraordinary. And, you know, Ralph Nader says we need, we need a movie and we need a movement. And, uh, you know, that's what we hope the documentary will do. will will bolster and help organize and, uh, bring all these really not just tens or hundreds of thousands, but millions of people who've experienced that exact same thing with their student loans. And our elected officials, we hope, will start to listen or they can find another job. You know, that's, that's part of, I think, the activism behind my company, Videos for Change. So I'm, you know, I'm, these are the types of projects stories we want to be telling. Yeah, I think these are, it's a very important topic, and I am so glad you're covering it. Um, And I wonder, why do you think our government allowed Sally Mae to lend money to students, mostly young people with very little financial experience, without bankruptcy protection, especially because we all know, we've all heard stories of people, white-collar Um, uh, business people who have, in some cases, embarked in very risky, uh, you know, businesses, and yet if it doesn't work out, they just file for bankruptcy and they move on with their life and they start another business, and there's really no consequences. But in this case, as you've pointed out, there's no – there's no way to get out of it. And and, uh, I I just – I want to say one other thing before you answer, which is that – It's really peculiar that the government would choose to cripple a generation of uh, people who went to college to try to improve themselves and educate themselves. So (laughs) I I just wonder what you what what you think the government, uh, you know, was thinking when they allowed this. Well, I'm told um, and we don't know, but. Okay, so Catherine Fitz does tell us, and there's a little snippet, and there's more in episodes two and three, because um, she sat at the at that table. She was in the boardroom with, from 1991 to 1993, and she says all they wanted to do was talk about making money, making money, making money, and she said they were furious with government. It's as if somebody was working them. Uh, she said to them, you know, 
Ford wanted to design a better car, and he wanted to improve it. We're here to improve the educational system. They weren't talking about improving it. They were talking about making money off of it. So their value system was way off from what we would consider ethical and moral and helpful because, like you said, Heather, it is about you go to college and you want to better your life. And how do you move up is education. But this system was designed. They knew back then that this could harm borrowers. They went ahead and did it anyway. I don't know the answer to that, but we do know the results of that, and that is women and people of color have been harmed the worst. In fact, people of color are more likely to default 500% more than their white cohorts. So whether they designed to cripple a generation plus multiple generations by creating an oppressive system, which ironically is built within the educational system that's designed to help us better our lives. <laughs> you know, uh, Matt Taibbi just has some great insights about all this, and it's just, you know, the powers that be pass this burden onto teenagers, and that stays with them. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this um, issue of um, how also schools don't bear any risk, I think that helps explain why they don't feel compelled to educate their students about the earning potential of their degree. Uh, because if it doesn't work out for them and they can't pay the loans, it, it doesn't matter. The school just moves on, but it's the student who's left you know, dealing with the burden. You've, you have made a decision to release this film in chapters. So this first chapter about Sally May is just the, the very first part. Um, but uh, could you talk a little bit about your decision to release the film in chapters and what you think you might cover in some of the upcoming chapters? Oh, sure. Thanks, Heather. Uh, yes. Uh, you're absolutely right. Universities are part of the, this problem. Um, in terms of the chapters and where we are now, uh, so first of all, we began editing in earnest this in during COVID, and uh, I was able to take my unemployment checks and pay my editor. Uh, and up until that point, we had not received the From the Heart Roy W. Dean grant. Um, and, and funds to draw funding uh, from people who can't afford, uh, you know, their student loans and all this other stuff, it, it, it was hard. But we made a decision to get something out, and there was pressure on us to get something out now. And so... You know, the chapters actually made it easier for us to structure the program and figure out what we could do. And so a year ago, we, you know, uh, and by by June, we were looking at a fine cut, and then we, we landed into our first film festival at the Whistleblower Summit where we won the Audience Choice Award in July. 
But the chapters are designed to look at whether or not this is a bad borrowing problem or a bad lending system. It will then go back and revisit John Oberg, who is the whistleblower inside the Department of Education in Episode 2. What people don't know is that, remember that guy we were talking about, uh, Christian's Loans? Well, they move your, your loan around from company to company. Well, sometimes they don't close that old case back up. So the servicer continues to bill the United States government. Well, John Oberg discovered this in 2007. He was told to put that information away, but he continued to do that on his own time. And then after he retired, brought the lenders to court, and he filed on behalf of the United States money that was overbilled. I know I'm going uh, long on this episode, too, but he won seven out of nine times, and the reason why he lost the other two is Betsy DeVos and the, the uh, servicer spent $12 million against him. Um, there's just so much here. So uh, we go into that investigation. Uh, then we go into Wall Street. We compare in Episode 3 how this um, compares to the mortgage lending crisis and what makes it different. Um, as well as the impact this can have, this is having on the U.S. economy. You mentioned people aren't getting married, having homes, kids, all and, and all of that. Um, and they're also living at home and carry, still holding on to this debt. So episode uh, four, we're going to be diving into universities and you know how they have contributed. Uh, this is both the private schools, the public schools, the Catholic schools. Everybody has kept quiet about this lending system. And that's baffling uh, to me that they have, they have known and, continue, and, and to be silent. And so now's the time not to be silent anymore. And we're delighted. You know, last week we had USC, a screening at USC, and a great discussion hosted by the Kasdan Institute. Um, to finish that up, uh, episode five, we look at uh, uh, just more of the fallout of all this. Uh, we call it uh, torts, vets, and suicide. And then in episode six, we're going to be talking about solutions and uh, the economics of that and the benefits of, of finding the right solution. But finding the wrong solution will only push parents, students, and universities over the cliff because, as Bob Hilcher says, tuition is going to get to $100,000 a year, and that's only going to that's talk about a um, dividing us as a society based on education when it was supposed to better us as a country and compete against other countries. Yeah, so you're releasing the film in chapters, but it's essentially that you're making a series. So you're calling it uh, a film with chapters, but essentially it's a series. And I can tell you've really given a lot of thought to what's going to go into it and really mapped it out. So a while ago we were talking about how some of these uh, companies have split apart. Sally May has split apart into two companies. One of them is named Naviant, which manages loans, and uh, Illinois – the state of Illinois sued them for deceptive subprime lending, including a failure to offer proper repayment options. I wonder when that was and what has happened with that lawsuit. Uh, 
that's a great question. I believe it was uh, in 2018, and they found that the servicer was just committing all kinds of fraud against a number of borrowers, and the governor of Illinois uh, and the attorney general, you know, brought a case against them, and uh, and got them to stop, you know, and that's what it takes. I don't know how many attorney generals right now are suing Navient or Sally May or FIA. You know, and a lot of these loan servicers are now are closing up shop. We heard um, two weeks ago Navient saying we, they want to get out of the lending business by the end of the, uh, this year. So you have to ask yourself why. <laughs> Well, because they don't want to get sued, right? Isn't that the reason? uh, That's partly. Um, Here's another thing. Again, let's go back to John Oberg. FIA was one of the loan servicers he brought suit against and won. He has, and others, somebody has, all their emails of what was actually going on. So, yes. Uh, And there are other loan servicers uh, that John has the information on. Uh, some he cannot speak upon, uh, but some he can. And uh, so, yeah, they will they will find what uh, what's been uh, what's been taking place behind these doors and really harming families. Yeah, I I have been hearing a lot more about um, an understanding of how this has impacted people in terms of helping to support younger people who are getting degrees now and so forth, and people who still have extraordinary debt. But I never I never hear anything about the people who um, made tremendous sacrifice to pay their loans and reimbursing them since these were uh, loans taken out under predatory conditions. But in any event, the, the, the issue is obviously just hmm. so large. There's a funny part of your film where a student loan borrower has to talk um, with someone at Navient who is just uh, typically heartless as they as they are, and uh, he explains that he's unemployed because of the pandemic, and the Navient employee asks which pandemic he's talking about. <laughs> and uh, I think yeah, that really that's, sums uh... up. Yeah, that kind of, you know, and Bob Hildreth goes on, who was formerly with the International Monetary Fund on the board of Boston University, graduated of Harvard, along with Ralph Nader, and says Navient should be ashamed of themselves. And now they want to get out of the the lending business. Uh, You know, and it's because of media like your program and others that this is going to come out of the bag, and and that's what it's going to take. Uh, exposing and discussing this part of the issue of borrowing, like we can get lost in in whether to cancel loans or not. The root cause is still going to be there. This uh, predatory lending will continue if. And, and and that's why the U.S. hearing on August 3rd was so important because it was a discussion around whether or not, led by Senator uh, Dick Durbin out of Illinois and Senator Grassley out of Iowa, uh, 
But this idea of returning bankruptcy protection to student loans could take place by December of this year, and that will level the playing field. Yeah, it's certainly a step in the right direction, although, as we've discussed, the harm Mm. that has been caused to people is so extraordinary because of the terrible conditions under which they were lent this money. Uh, I really feel like it's it's not even enough um, because how do you uh, really compensate someone who wasn't able to have a family or different things? They just totally missed out oh. because because of these practices. They're really, uh, I think the government really needs to think more about, you know, their role in this and their responsibility. Um, and the the film does talk about how the the more people default, the higher the um, the stock price goes. So there are just, you know, anyone who owns stock in this company is also um, guilty of profiting off of this behavior. Um, uh, so, right. I mean, you, you mentioned that the company should be ashamed of themselves, but obviously these are, these are companies that have no shame. Otherwise they wouldn't be engaging in this kind of uh, behavior. So it's just, it's very, it's very sad. I, I felt watching the film that, that all of the unemployed um, students with loans, I guess if they need a job, they, they could try to get a job at Sally Mae since business is booming for them uh, because of the harm they've caused. But obviously no one, uh, no one with a heart would want to work there. So, Yeah. Um, I just want to go back to the point you made, yeah. Heather, about how this has impacted people. And you're, you're actually making me think because so many uh, – borrowers, they're psychologically harmed by this. Um, That is a very strange thing uh, that it does to us. Uh, You know, we feel depressed. We blame ourselves. This thing happens. The next thing happens. And your life goes downhill. Alan, somehow, a three-degree aerospace scientist from USC, somehow, Dropped his career. Oh, he discovered this problem because he was thrown into default wrongfully by Sally May uh, in 2000. Um, he put his life on hold. You know, he, he told you in the opening five minutes, I sold my house, bought a car, got a van, drove around the country, and he thought the country would pay attention to the obvious. This is this is back in. 2004, I think. And by 2005, he's in Fortune magazine. In 2006, he's on 60 Minutes. And that's the beginning where things, where the parties started to break apart because that then led to an investigation that shared, uh, revealed that there were kickbacks that are going back to the university. And I know for a fact that that takes place. They have friends who work at the university level where they were offered 200000 to be the sole loan service provider on their campus. So it is a monopoly. They kicked other people, the well-intentioned lenders, out of the game, and uh, they basically cornered this whole thing, both from Wall Street to Congress to Department of Education. That's why borrowers complain about Department of Education so much, because they're filled with people from the lending industry. Isn't that astonishing? 
Yeah, it's very sad. Um, the film mentions that there's 40 million Americans who are suffering from this debt. I didn't write the statistic down, but maybe you can help me out if you know it. Uh, also, in many states, the amount of student loan debt being carried in that state is larger than the entire state's um, annual budget. <laughs> Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah. So, it, it um, is. Yeah, Sad. Alan, Alan uncovered that. So just to repeat, um, there's there's the uh, your state's annual budget that we as taxpayers pay, and then there is this uh, tax that those who went to college pay, and that's almost twice as much. In the state of Georgia, it's twice as much in student loans uh, as it is in their annual state budget. So, you know, talk about... Uh, you know, we also have this quote from John Adams. I mean, it's two ways to conquer a nation. One is by sword and the other is by debt. Uh, that's how you can hold a, an entire people down, uh, oppress them, oppress them into the next generation. Uh, and it, it goes against conservative principles, which wants to bring the working class, you know, to the next level. That's, that's the promise. Um, and this goes against that. It, it, it indentures them. And this is taking place in 19, 18 out of 19 states have what you mentioned, where their student debt budget exceeds their state budget. And uh, it's just astronomical. Uh, but 18 out of 19 of those states are red states. Yeah, that's very interesting. The film also talks about how if you borrow for something like a house, uh, if you can't make the payments, you can get out from under it. Um, but, of course, that's because the house still has the value. If you leave the house, the bank can reclaim the house and sell the house. But I think this is where um, an important point needs to be made, that if these degrees people got in debt um, to earn – were worth the value of the tuition that they paid, they would, in fact, be able to pay back these loans. But, in fact, they aren't, and no one can reclaim, um, you know, whatever knowledge you got um, earning a degree that didn't serve you well enough to, to earn a living to pay back the loans. But in any event. So therein um, lies mm -hmm. why universities are part of the culprit. And They certainly uh, are. It, they it, certainly are. And, and – and, and and Tom Borger says they're the bank. They're giving up this money without asking people whether or not they could afford it. It's like saying, could you afford to lose $80,000, <laughs> you know, and get nothing back from it? Uh, in fact, actually that 80000 could you afford that 80000 to go to 120 or 140 or 160 Could you afford that? You know, that's exactly what universities are doing. To millions of borrowers. This doesn't impact the rich. This is impacting the middle class family and and the lower class, which is often single moms uh, who are trying to put themselves through college. So this this definitely disproportionately impacts women and people of color. Definitely. Uh, for anyone who's interested in getting involved with this cause, could you talk a little bit about things that they could do? And um, also there's an organization that Alan is involved with, 
um, which mm-hmm. is studentloanjustice.org. So perhaps you could also talk about that organization and, and what they're doing as part of how people can be involved to, to help fight against this problem. Well, uh, thank you, Heather. Um, they can certainly find Allen's group, Student Loan Justice, which is a nonpartisan group. Uh, they are on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and uh, they welcome members here. They have chapters in all 50 states. Uh, so that's Student Loan Justice Group on Facebook. And again, then they have their subchapters each state. Um, other ways people can get involved. And by the way, Student Loan Justice does a lot of activities, things that you know go below the radar. But I'm, I've been invited now to France to speak to Democrats abroad who are really invested in making student loan debt uh, a midterm election. So uh, I didn't know this, but we have uh, 200,000 Americans abroad, and they organize, and they're actually very politically active uh, back on the homeland. Um, so student loan justice can connect you to that as well. Um, with us, if people want to get involved, you know, just uh, talk to a friend, call a representative, uh, tell somebody about this debt. Um, they can, you know, visit our website at scaredtodebttheories.com. Um, watch the episode. Um, you know, support the Q and A's. Uh, let us let us know what's going on because uh, you know we want to bring people together behind this film, help support the movement, um, and reform policy. Uh, you know, as a dad, I'm not going to quit until uh, my kids are protected. Clearly, your work on this film is a passion project, and I would love it if you would talk a little bit about how you're funding it. Um, I know it takes it takes a village to fund these kind of things, these passion projects, so if you could just speak about that, that would be great. Well, this is where our roads connect uh, through Carol Dean. You know, we're working with uh, From the Heart, and uh, we have a, uh, a fundraising campaign online. Uh, perhaps we can add that. But you can find our link uh, to donate to our cause uh, through our, our website, uh, scaredtodebtmovietheories.com. Um, you know, for the most part, we have really relied on uh, small donors, 10, 20. I'm always, I was amazed when somebody can write a $100 check. And we've had a few anonymous donors um, who have you know, really been, you know, the foundation. Uh, but if everybody, anybody wanted to chip in, you know, five, ten bucks, we will get this solved. We will get uh, the next five episodes out. And um, and uh, we, we also have a newsletter, so we keep you updated and things that you can do in terms of uh, who to call, you know, your representative and things like that. If everyone who uh, owes student loans was able to take the amount of money they're paying back to these borrowers and, and write a check to you, you would like have millions of dollars. But unfortunately, those are the people that aren't able to spare the extra money in most cases. But I do just want to recap right. these websites because I think it's important. So um, Alan's website is studentloanjustice.org. 
And I would love it if you would repeat your website and also if you have any social media handles that you're using um, or hashtags or anything like that, I'd love it if you would just share those again. And also if you have your personal website, I don't know, uh, just feel free to share all that information. Okay, so uh, uh, thank you again. Um, So scaredtodebtseries.com. Uh, and in the upper right of our website, we also have our social media handles. So we're on Facebook at Scared to Debt. Um, yep, it's just that I'm I'm doing it right now. Uh, Twitter is uh, Scared with the number two Debt. That is in D E B T. Um, and then our Instagram is just Scared to Debt. Again, D-E-B-T. Uh, yeah, we'd love to Great. find find you on those uh, find you on those uh, social media sites. Great, and you mentioned you are accepting donations through From the Heart. So, uh, yep. is there a link on your website, or should people just go to the From the Heart website? Uh, if they go to our website, I think they'll find it easier. Uh, and there's a, a button that says Donate right in the upper right. So. ScaredToDebtSeries.com. Hit the donate button, and uh, you'll find our you'll find our um, our campaign, which offers folks tax deductible uh, donation right off as as uh, from the heart as a 501c3. Um, but we're we're more than halfway to our goal, so we'd love to get there. We'd love to get there sooner than later. Well, I'm. Happy to hear you're making good progress. And again, I really want to thank you for your work on this tackling this problem, which is so significant. And Claire, I wanted to ask if you had any questions for Mike that I haven't covered. I'd just like to say uh, thank you again, Mike, for all that you're doing. You're you're making a big difference for so many lives. And uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. And Mike, sure. is there anything else that I uh, that I haven't asked you about that you would like to talk about before we close the show? Uh, you know, I think we've covered quite a bit. Uh, I, I would just say I'll just echo that. Um, you know, for me, it's about. Um, I don't want my kids to have this debt. I don't want other families to have this debt and this this no way outness. Um, that's just not something that we can um, tolerate. And I hope others will join me uh, in bringing this lending system down to its knees and fixing it. Fixing it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes. I hope that happens too. So thank you so much, Mike, and and thank you, Claire, for um, helping us with the show as well today. Yes, thank it was an honor. Again. All right. Well, be well, everyone, and take good care. Uh, you too. Thanks. Mm-hmm.
Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.